Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. This is Kelsey Zeiser. I'm a senior editor here at Light Reading, and I'm joined on this podcast by Mike Howe, who is the VP of Product Marketing at Glueware. On this show, we'll discuss the latest on intent-based networking, how enterprises can approach automating brownfield multi-vendor networks, and if there's such a thing as too much network automation. We'll do that right after this break. So, Mike, we're so glad to have you on the Light Reading Podcast today. And I thought before we dive into things, wanted to ask uh, your suggestions for, I imagine that you're uh, kind of in quarantine, as most of us are with this coronavirus. So, do you have any suggestions on what to binge watch right now to get through it? Well, I'm <clears throat> I'm in a unique situation with a two-year-old and a five-year-old now home from school. And so we're binge watching Paw Patrol and Peppa Pig and Blippi. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I'm probably not the best person to ask. My wife and I are trying to watch Jack Ryan, not really kid appropriate. So we're, uh, I think we, t- we turn on, we're binge watching voice recordings uh, when we have dinner. So uh, that's, we're kind of a family friendly crowd over here at the, the Howe household. Yeah, makes sense. Um, and yeah, Jack Ryan's a great show. I've been I binged the um, Tiger King documentary on Netflix one Friday night. That was pretty wild. So that might be one to check out, but also not kid friendly. <laughs> so yeah. just a caveat there. Uh, <laughs> so getting right into things, uh, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about intent based networking. And I came across that term maybe two or three years ago. So wanted to get your thoughts on how you would define intent-based networking, and then if you've seen any major changes in the conversation around um, that topic over the past few years. Yeah, absolutely, Kelsey. It's it's an exciting topic, and and I think everyone in networking is always excited about the next innovation. And when you look at the um, how network automation is progressing. Um, you know, and kind of like if you follow in industry standard terms, um, Gartner is one that describes some like through the, the original configuration management products out there were, are referred to as NCCMs, Network Configuration Change Tools. And that approach is very um, text oriented. You're kind of you're, you're kind of um, treating network configurations as a block of text and it's. And unfortunately, it's kind of an unintelligent mechanism to deal with the intelligence of the network. Because the network, when you really look at it, is made up of all these individual protocols that are like individual pieces of code. So kind of fast forwarding is like his network, uh, the, the technologies like Glueware uses to manipulate and, and perform network automation. We're really starting to treat the underlying network infrastructure as code or as, and then interact with mm-hmm. it programmatically. So what, what, what intent-based networking is intended to do, right, is to be able to provide abstraction to define a business level or policy level desired state. And this is where um, the, it kind of gets to a very gray area of how high do you abstract? The reality of most network engineers is they don't want extremely high abstraction. They still want pretty tight policy control. So mm-hmm. right now, I think I'd say we're at the policy level of define what is my intended state on the network. 
you then take that intended state or policy and have to translate it. So uh, these modern platforms, again, and Gluer is an example, we translate that desired state into the actual, the actual network configuration required for each device or vendor. So oftentimes you're dealing with multi-vendors, so Cisco, Juniper, Arista, you know, down the list. Um, you have to translate it back to that vendor's native CLI and semantic to be able to um, actually tell that device what to do. And then um, you have a feedback loop to verify it's in the in, in the intended state. So, um, um, so you you are explaining uh, intent-based networking and um, uh, the level of abstraction that you would want. Yeah, and so I think where where people were at is um, for a couple of years we were trying to go down a path of software-defined networking or SDN. And SDN, while kind of great in concept. Um, when you really looked at it, trying to fundamentally kind of separate control plane and data plane was mm -hmm. was not super like kind of it's such a radical change. It didn't really get off the ground like everyone maybe thought it could. Um, but the concept of having centralized control using software um, to or software concepts to control networking has really become popular. And, you know, SDN has gone off into very specific solutions like vendor specific software defined WAN and software defined data center. But it's like, what about the rest of the network? How do you apply software control? And that's where, you know, intent based networking is uh, the goal is to provide a software based control, even for things don't that don't fall into some net new uh, software defined data center or software defined WAN type implementation. Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, and then I know you do a lot with uh, automation for enterprises. Why would you say that network automation is so critical um, at this time for both enterprises and service providers? Yeah, and, and I think you know, key phrase there is that at this time, um, automation is one of these things that every organization would tell you is important to them, and that they you know think is good, and they have goals mm -hmm. of getting to it. What we're finding now, when you think about business continuity, and um, we're so reliant on the underlying network for everything we do, for our e-commerce, for our uh, for our unified communications, and all these things, if your network is running all those things, and there's still a lot of human interaction involved, so mm -hmm. human changes and human monitoring and, and maintenance, you're really you're going to hit a um, it's going to hurt you at some point, maybe you're slower to get something deployed or your outage lasts longer. So those are the things that we we're kind of often hearing. Well, now in this time that we're faced with, you know, a global pandemic and people having to work from home or can't come into the office or, um, you know, maybe have to take personal time to deal with family situations. Mm -hmm. If you're if your critical resources are human and, and you can't get something delivered, that automation becomes a lot more important. So I think it's gonna become a time for us where people really look at automation as a very strategic enabler to ensure the network can be managed to keep business continuity during tough times. So I, I right. think, you know, it's, it's, we've always felt it's important, we hear it's important, but sometimes you need something to kind of cause a, <laughs> You know, a little pain, you feel right. a little pain and then you got to you know, justify to take the action. 
Yeah, really um, a very real use case for for everyone right now. And that kind of makes me wonder as far as, um, you know, we talked about on another podcast just about um, some service providers have, um, you know, closed some of their uh, retail shops or are doing kind of curbside assistance. Um, Do you think that... uh, maybe some of the the automation involved in customer service, not just for service providers, but, um, you know, for a number of different verticals, uh, is that becoming more important? Because I imagine more people are probably using um, call centers and chat support um, during this time versus, you know, maybe going in person to get um, uh, for tech support for their, their phone or, or other device. Yeah, absolutely. What I would say is, um, you know, kind of in, let's say, prior to the pandemic, it was about um, oftentimes we'd, we'd interact with large organizations and we, we look at the team to manage a large and complex network. And, you know, for us, we're kind of talking, you know, the so-called brownfield, right? The, the existing mm-hmm. network with a lot of complexity. I think oftentimes people think, well, I can move to something net new and my problems go away. Well, reality is like, a lot of the old and networks never really go away. And even if you have silos of new, you still have old. So we had worked with a very large organization with more than 30 people daily managing the network, making changes. And now it's consolidated down to two or three in regions that can automate with Glueware. So one is kind of taking the burden off the people and, and getting to that. Um, now, what you're referring to also is you, you really want to, when you think automation, it's not really just the tasks and some of the low-level things, but how do you mm-hmm. how do you enable self-service and you know someone you know who's working remote to just go on a portal and request something and have it get implemented, and that's where it does get to automation systems need to be able to integrate. So that web front end you're using may open up a ticket in ServiceNow or Remedy, and that. Um, that could potentially trigger an action through an API call to your automation software. So I think a lot of people and organizations are looking at, you know, not just, let's say, your task-based automation of how do I push QoS to my network or how do I update SNMP, but mm-hmm. even more so around how do I enable self-service and, um, and things. Now, the second part of that, what I, we were talking about around, you know, today's problem with people working remote, everyone has to kind of reconsider their capabilities for VPN access to the network. And, and so a lot of people are talking, you know, the pain points we're hearing on calls to, you know, daily now are around VPN concentrators and internet access and really the change of, you know, from maybe 20% remote and, you know, mm-hmm. 80% into, you know, 99% of people remote. And so this is really changing we, we're already kind of moving, I'd say most organizations are moving towards remote worker, enabling remote worker VPN mm-hmm. and unified communications and cloud technologies, but it's even more important now. Mm-hmm. And those that have leveraged clouds and things like Zoom and WebEx and, and other mechanisms, the nice thing is when it's a SaaS, a software as a service, they can kind of just add incrementally as needed in the cloud mm-hmm. that the provider can just incrementally ratchet up. But if it's your own infrastructure, your own VPN concentrators and your own Internet circuits, those things are being stressed and everyone's looking right. at upgrading those now. 
Yeah. yeah, definitely. It is it is helpful if you already have some of those um, systems in place versus then um, I, I feel bad for the, um, you know, companies and employees that are just starting from scratch or, um, you know, didn't have um, some things like, like we use Microsoft Teams a lot. Um, so having those capabilities. So we'll take yeah. uh, a brief break and we'll be right back on the Light Reading Podcast. Right, so we're back on the light reading podcast, and I'm joined by Mike Howe with Glueware. Uh, so we were talking a little bit about automating in brownfield environments, which is probably the majority of networks. Um, what would you say are some of the biggest challenges that enterprises face in automating brownfield multi-vendor networks? Yeah, I think the biggest cha- challenge you face is just that. When you're looking to program or look at things programmatically and and, uh, and automate them, you um, the more variables you introduce, the harder the problem becomes. And and brownfield is um, you know we kind of call it, it's like a dirty word, but it, it is that installed base of your existing router switches firewalls. It's that potentially that you know refer to it as technical debt. And if mm-hmm. If someone hasn't, if within your organization you haven't been very good about removing old statements and old configurations, those configurations have bloated with unnecessary access list command lines and route filters and other things. We're working with a, a global pharmaceutical, and they still had statements on, on the routers to deal with Kaza traffic. And Kaza is a hmm. peer-to-peer app that went away a long time ago. So mm-hmm. the the brownfield problem is. Um, is that mix of vendors, it's the mix of platforms, and then it's the complexity and um, even the legacy or technical debt built into each configuration. And back when mm-hmm. I was talking about the old approach of NCCM tools, if if you believe, and a lot of people kind of believe like, okay, the source of truth is on the network, and I'm gonna just keep taking the running config, because if it's running, it must be good, right? Some <laughs> people like, oh, if it's up and running, it, it must be at a good state. And if it doesn't work tomorrow, (laughs) yeah, I'm going to just put that config back on. And I think the the key around brownfield automation and the problem Glueware helps solve is to transition from current state to deconstruct that monolithic config to make Mm -hmm. it into individual feature blocks and then manage it from a policy-based and and intent-based standpoint. So really, it's a modernization. How do I... You know, I, I used to joke around about it being like a home remodeling show, which is, you know, it'd be awesome if you could just tear down your house and rebuild it. But reality yeah. is you got to live in it. And, you know, if, if your bathroom's out of commission. So Glueware enables you to do things like you can automate individual things and move and move stepwise or logically into your pain points. So may, it may start with globals like SNMP and, and AAA mm-hmm. and other things, but then you can move into more complexity. So, yeah, that's the, the brownfield problem. <laughs> Okay. Which which most enterprises uh you know have. Yeah, I I'd, I'd love to ha- um have a immediate home remodel like you just Yeah, said. right. You know. <laughs> um and, and in the software world you just tear down a VM and spin it back up, you know, it's like mm-hmm. it's a little easier in some worlds. In the networking world it's right. uh it's a bit more complicated. 
Right. And so how does an enterprise get started on this uh, automation journey? Is it, um, you know, you mentioned uh, removing some of those old configurations. Is that a good place to start? Um, how do you um, consult with them on, on where to get started in their automation journey? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And I think it's, you know, again, it's like, you know, you can't boil the ocean overnight. What we often recommend is get started automating the read only components because that's the lowest risk. It's essentially zero risk. You're not making that new changes. So with Glueware, um, we start with inventorying the network. So perform an inventory, understand what, what devices are on the network, understand what operating systems they have, understand if there are current support contracts, so you, we are always, we should say we're not surprised anymore, but we're always surprised. The enterprises are always surprised when they actually go, oh, I didn't know we still have those in the network or, oh, I didn't know we're, <laughs> I didn't know we're running those old operating systems. Yeah. An engineering firm we work with who um, inventoried a thousand devices, 400 were switches, had 70 different operating systems running. Wow. And they're like, oh, wow, this is problematic. We can't have all <laughs> right. these different, op we need to standardize. So automating the read only and then when you get beyond your inventory um, we we enable something called config drift which is the monitoring of config changes and so this gives you a good indicator um, number one it gives you insight so you know what changed if there's a problem so you know if someone says oh, i can't get to the server anymore you can look at the network and say oh someone changed a routing rule or an access list or something you can you can um, correlate it but it also gives you an indicator of if um, if I know my someone is keeps changing QoS policy or ACL rules um, or you know whatever it may be, the things that are changing the most are probably what should be automated first, right? So it okay. kind of gives you that indicator of that. Um, the second piece of looking at configs is implementing auditing. So mm -hmm. um, often we work with customers and they say we have standards, we have standard configs, or we have uh, we like the term paper policies. So some engineer took the time to define what should be on the network devices. And so an audit will enable you to compare that intended state with what is actually running and tell you how many uh, violations you have. So you can audit to company policy. You can audit for third parties standards like PCI DSS and uh, uh, HIPAA and SOX. <clears throat> and you can audit for security components. So organizations like NIST have very good recommendations on what should be turned on and what should be turned off and router configs and you can audit for things like that. So we just kind of begin and get started automating the read only and then prioritize the, okay, what do we need to perform in terms of operating system upgrade? And then what can we automate from a config standpoint that's should be done first? And so sometimes you jump right onto a pain point, like oh, I gotta get mm -hmm. QoS right to fix unified mm -hmm. communication. Or you can say, I wanna standardize like maybe you have um, static passwords and you should be using TACX or RADIUS, right? So implementing standardization from um, the network configuration. Okay. Is there anything that um, you would recommend enterprises not automate? Is there such a thing as too much automation? I think where the challenge lies, and I think one of the most interesting parts of my job is really performing a deep, network automation assessment to say what is being automated what is being done manually what tools are you mm -hmm. currently using what scripts are you relying on what's mm -hmm. keeping you up at night like what are your pain points and <laughs> yeah. what what we tend to find is that um 
it's, it's usually not an issue of too much automation. The problem is more about too many different ways in which automation is happening. And so, and even maybe too many cooks in the kitchen. If you have different organizations, some using vendor tools, some using scripts, some using manual, uh, it, it, that, that is kind of challenging in that you just kind of too many tools and too many cooks in the kitchen. And when you can really look at um, ways to consolidate and standardize, um, again, back to the house analogy, it's just like cleaning up your house. It feels good once you get, once you get through um, you know, some of that network cleanup. Um, do you ever have any conversations with your clients about, um, I imagine some employees might be concerned with, uh, yes, this automation probably makes a lot of things um, simpler and faster for them, but at the same time, are there concerns about um, you know, their job security uh, or do they generally feel like, okay, this opens me up for more time to focus on um, the tasks that I'm really interested in or that would really um, help move our business forward? Yeah, I mean, I, I, think you, I think you have people resistive to change I and mean, it's a natural thing. Um, generally, when people come to us, they already know they need automation. The, the apprehension is like, what am I going to have to learn to automate? So I think one thing they're okay. fairly relieved to learn with Gluer is that we are not asking engineers who you know, spent many years of their life becoming protocol experts and CLI experts, we're not asking them to become programmers. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably more of the, the fear and concern people have is like, wow, do I need to really dramatically change my skill set to, to keep my job? Um, and with Glueware, we, we take a, you know, l- less, virtually no code or even low code approach to leverage your current skill set. So that, that's one fear we try to put to rest quickly. Mm-hmm. The other um, fear around, uh, you, know, you were talking about job security, that's generally not a, as big of a problem as people would think. It's gonna, I'm mm-hmm. gonna automate myself out of a job. Mm-hmm. It's more around um, giving me the ability to eliminate the, the mundane tasks that I didn't enjoy about my job anyway. Mm-hmm. I enjoy, let's say an engineer design enjoys um, building the config and getting it right the first time and working in the lab. And they enjoy the building aspect and the, the protocol work. What they don't, they don't generally enjoy is having to manually apply it to a thousand devices at two o'clock in the morning during the maintenance. <laughs> right. yeah. So if we can, <laughs> yeah. And trust me, I spent years of my life sitting on calls on weekends. It was not fun. And you know, you're, if you can also bring that to them to, um, ensure that you are going to the, capitalize on your skill set, allow you to automate those mundane things and actually improve um, the, the, uh, the satisfaction and even the, you know, not burn out your valued employees. I think there's mm-hmm. benefits to the engineer as well as the management on that front. Right. So we, we generally find that there's plenty of work to go around and that if we enable them to automate their brownfield, they can use resources towards strategic things. And what we like to look um point people towards is, you know, if you had, if you were freed up of all this time and effort, what could you be doing? You know, could you be moving to the, you know, leveraging cloud resources or other things faster? And generally they're very much in agreement of that. Yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. And, um, you know, getting rid of some of those manual processes, I'm sure, uh, probably actually helps with employee retention um, for them to be able to um, work on the things that they're more passionate about. And like you said, Absolutely. not have to wake up at ungodly hours. 
to work exactly. on things. Exactly. One other piece of fear I want to touch on is that people sometimes are fearful of automation. Like, and, and this is true of a lot of approaches. If you build a script, at some mm-hmm. point you have to run that script. Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit a little bit risky when you hit that execute button because people think um, older folks have had experience with automation and maybe had a script go wrong are like very gun shy, like, oh, I tried it and you know, it caused more problems than it creates. Our mm-hmm. approach is um, with Glueware, it's very methodical in terms of there's a lot of pre-checks, post-checks, and validations that occur, as well as previewing the change. I want to see what's going to happen before I execute it on a live device and even automating the ability to test it in a lab or a controlled environment before I roll it out. So I think when the the automation that people have to get comfortable with is moving into it and building confidence in the platform and then the approach. And I think that's Mm -hmm. critical. We're talking about, you know, you automate the read only first, but when you start to automate the change or the writing, you know, the, where you're actually implementing change, you got to kind of ease into that as well and build confidence in your approach mm-hmm. and, the, and the system you're using. And I imagine as well that um, this process would also give them more visibility into um, how their network is behaving and um, more access to analytics. Is that right? Absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it's really critical to be capturing that information around the network, not just config state and and the device inventory, but like with Glueware, we're capturing, um, uh, we call it state assessment. So looking at things like BGP neighbors or route counts or LLDP, you know, all these things that you want to, you know, oftentimes you're running manually through a show command on a CLI, being able to automate those things and automate troubleshooting, automate Again, the pre-checks and post-checks and validation. Uh, Well, thanks so much for your time today and for joining us on the Light Reading Podcast. It's a pleasure, and I hope uh, you stay safe and healthy and your family as well during this um, unusual uh, coronavirus quarantine situation that we're under at the moment. All right, that's it. That's our show for today. Thanks to Mike Cow for his time and insights. Thanks also to our amazing producer, Tian Fu, for making us sound good, even when we don't. Thanks to you, our dear listener, because if you weren't paying attention, we wouldn't be able to get away with doing all this at work. Please tell a friend to subscribe. And thanks again for listening to the Light Reading Podcast. We'll see you next time.